God has spoken. Understand Asa Shaman. assume that you know who I am, so I'd like to introduce myself. My name is uh, Ronnie Rom, one of the pastors here, and I, along with some incredible, incredible staff and leaders and volunteers, run and head up our ministry that happens every single week. It's our midweek worship service. It's called Generate, and it meets here in this building. Um, <laughs> praise God. We got some Generate people. They'll be the loud, rowdy bunch, so watch your purses and wallets over there. Um, <clears throat> But uh, we would love to have you come out. If you've never been to it, we'd love for you to come. It meets every single week, 7 o'clock here in this building, and so we'd love to have you. Um, a little bit about myself. Uh, I am uh, married. My wife is the lovely, beautiful worship leader that you heard leading worship, Natalia. Uh, that's my wife. And uh, she's also pregnant, five months pregnant, in case that you didn't know that. Um, uh, yeah, and so we're excited. Baby Dallas, Dallas Lee is his name, and so we're excited for him to meet all of you guys. And, uh, you know, if you guys get to meet him, and hopefully he's nothing like me, and he's not a, a rowdy kid. So anyway, I'm excited for you guys to meet him. But we are in chapter 10 of the story. We're walking through the story. If you're new to us, um, you're wondering what this is, you can find out more outside. If you've been with us, you follow along where we're at, that God is moving as he's creating uh, a nation and building up a nation, all because he is, has enacted his plan to bring his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem all of humanity. And, and through doing this, there's two stories working, the upper story and the lower story. The lower story is where we're at, uh, where human beings make mistakes and we have problems and all these other things. And yet God is up here in the upper story constantly, like as Roman 8.28 says, causing all things to work together for good for those who love him and called according to his purpose. Last week, we heard an incredible story about a woman named Ruth. We got to see the incredible faith that she has. And that we're supposed to uh, imitate her and we're supposed to be like her to have that sort of faith. And, and what a great message that was last week. And now as we move on to this particular uh, section of scripture, which just to be honest is my favorite section. I, I, I don't know what it is. I love, I love David. I love Saul. I love the whole story that's being told here. And I love God's grace being shown through it. But um, in this passage, we're going to see that God is moving the nation forward. That he's doing something incredible. Yet in the midst of what God is doing, the lower story is still happening. People are still messing up. We're still seeing failures, but yet God still, he works through all of these things. These stories are so important because they, we get a chance to glean from them and understand that God doesn't want us to fall victim and pray to the same things that happened to the Israelites and also Saul in this time. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open up to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8 because that's where we're going to start. Um, in case you, you didn't know this, by nature, you and I were takers, Right? We are takers. I mean, we're selfish at our core. You don't have to look far to realize that we are just through and through selfish. I mean, you go into a room full of three-year-olds playing and you will see selfishness at its core, right? I might even propose that's evil at its core. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe junior high would be more, more of an appropriate thing. But um, you, you see that in, in, in children, you know, they're, they're playing in a room, they're playing with toys and another kid comes in and starts to play with a toy. All of a sudden, this one goes, that's mine, right? It's mine. 
you're fine. You're not playing with it. Let them, no. And there's this battle that ensues. There's the fleshly selfishness that we see rising up. And as good parents, we want to teach our kids that this is not a life that you're supposed to live. Selfishness robs you of life. In fact, it's the opposite of life. And so we want to teach our kids that this is not okay, that this behavior is not good because we want the best for them. God views you and I as his children, and he wants the best for us. And so when he sees selfishness creeping in, he, he warns us. He gives us uh, warnings in his scriptures all the time to be aware that when you let selfishness creep in, it will rob you of the life that I've meant for you to live. If you're living a life full of selfishness right now, you will soon learn, or if you haven't already, that it will leave you broken, bitter, lonely, and angry. Because at its core, Anytime you talk about selfishness, anytime you talk about self-sufficiency, at its very core and the very fabric of that is pride. And pride, as you know, is the deadliest sin of all. The Bible lays out seven deadly sins, tells us that number one is pride. Pride is the very thing that kicks Satan out of heaven. Pride is the very thing that caused Adam and Eve to sin in the garden. Pride is the very thing that affects us, it affects Saul, and because we come from the same DNA, the same flesh as Adam, we have the same issues and the same fleshly desires in us. And God warns us, he says, listen, if you fall victim to selfishness, if you let it creep into your life and take over and take control, then you are living less than my best for your life. And I would probably venture to bet that nobody in here would want to live less than God's best in their life. But yet, selfishness creeps in. Selfishness creeps in. First Samuel chapter 8 is where we're going to begin. I'd love to pray and open us up in prayer. So would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful opportunity that we get to share together. We thank you for the bright, crisp, cool morning. We thank you for your provision in our life. Lord, we pray that anybody who's walked in here today that needs to encounter you for the first time, Anybody who's in here who's been running from you, Lord, we pray that they would stop resisting and that they would say yes to you, that they would encounter you in a very real way, Lord. We pray that you would touch hearts, that you would just magnify your glory in this place, God. We want to see you. We pray that you would inhabit our hearts. We invite you here. And Father, most of all, we thank you that you might be bringing Phil Jackson back to the Los Angeles Lakers. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Think I'm joking. We might win a game, okay? It's okay to pray for those things. Um, <clears throat> A few, uh, a few months ago, at the beginning of the year, my wife and I, uh, we felt God really calling us to have, start a family. And so, we, you know, God was behind it. We prayed and we were like, okay, this is the time. We felt the confirmation. God was telling us to do it. So it, we thought, okay, this is perfect. We thought, no big deal, right? It's going to happen. Well, it didn't. Like one month, two months, three months, four months. And, you know, maybe there was some naivety there, not knowing that, you know, it doesn't always happen right away for a lot of people. But we started to get a little bit anxious. We got a little insecure we started to doubt whether or not God really was calling us and telling us to do these things, which is probably a natural reaction for people. We had a choice to make. We were either going to choose to run into the area of darkness, which is insecurity and doubt, or we were going to run to an area of trust that God had a promise for us and that no matter what happened, he would bring something good about it. And so in that few months, we wrestled and prayed. We grew stronger together. We grew closer to the Lord in that moment. And then, you know, eventually God blessed us with a child. And now looking back, having hindsight, which is 2020, I look back and I realize that God did something amazing in that time. There was a very real blessing in those few months that we had to rely on God and pray and, and grow stronger in him. And anybody who's ever been through a trial and has done that has realized that that was God working because he loves us. He draws those things. And I, have, I imagine that God, he always knew that he was going to give us our child, but he just loved that time together so much. 
He just loved talking with his children. He goes, you know what? I'm going to give this to you, but I don't want to give it to you now. So if you get to you now, you might run away from me. And I like this too much. And guess what? He's not willing to jeopardize his relationship with us, even in place of a child. And so in that, we realized, man, there was a huge blessing there. And we're so grateful that we chose to, to trust God. And it wasn't always easy in that moment. But you know what? What happens is when we let selfishness creep in, that selfishness oftentimes blinds us to the blessings that God wants to give us. Selfishness will cause us to be blind. We lose trust, we lose faith, we start putting everything on ourselves and we start looking around, seeing what other people have and what we don't have and all of a sudden selfishness has crept in and it begins to rob us of the life that we are meant to live. This is exactly what happened to the people of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter eight, follow along with me and see what happens starting in verse one. Chapter eight, verse one. And it came about when Samuel was old that he, he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second, Abijah. And they were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, they did not walk in his ways, but instead they turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Then, in verse four, all of the elders of Israel, they gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, behold, you, you have grown old and your sons, man, they don't walk in the ways anymore. Now appoint for us a king uh, to judge us like all the other nations. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they have said to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. I, I, I don't know if you get this, but I just get the sense that God is saying, Samuel, are you surprised? Are you surprised at what they're doing? I mean, They've done this to me ever since, ever since the beginning. They've done this to me. And so don't take offense. They're doing it to you. They just, they've done it all along. And he's saddened by this. Verse eight, it says, like all the deeds which they have done since that day, I brought them up from Egypt. Even until this day, they have forsaken me. They have served other gods so that they are doing to you also. Now then, he says, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. Now, in case you missed it, Israel was guided by the greatest king who ever lived, who was what? God. They had God guiding them and leading them as their king. But you remember, you'll realize right, right there what happened in verse five. In verse five is where the catalyst began to change all of the selfishness and all of this, this pride began to creep in. Verse five, it says, now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the other nations. They looked around and saw what they didn't have. And all of a sudden they realized, hey, we got shortchanged. And so now they started getting selfish. We want, we want, it's mine. And God was like, are you kidding me? I'm the, I'm the king, I'm your king, and I'm trying to lead you. They forgot it. They were blinded to the blessings because of selfishness. They were blinded to the blessings. Let me just recap in case you've forgotten what God has done for the people of Israel. God was the great king who led them out of slavery from Egypt. He's also the king that sent the, the, the plagues, the plagues on Egypt to let them go. And as they were fleeing from Egypt, when they came across the impassable Red Sea, he was also the king who said, part. And he parted the Red Sea so that they could cross. And he was also the king when they were in the desert and they were blind and they were wandering through the desert. He led them with a pillar of fire by night. And in the day, he led them by a pillar of smoke. He was also the same king who, in case that wasn't enough, when they woke up in the morning, they didn't even have to make breakfast. He gave them food, manna from heaven, and yet still they were blind to the blessings right in front of them. They let selfishness creep in because they began to compare themselves to the other people around them. And now church, 
today. This has 21st repercussions, 21st century repercussions. We cannot play this game of comparison. If we start to play the comparison game, it's a very dangerous one. It's a deadly one, and it robs us. When we look around and we see what other people have and decide that what we have isn't good enough, it becomes a dangerous, dangerous thing. I mean, how many people, myself included, how many of us have done this? Well, you know what? I wouldn't be in the economic problems that I'd be having if I had so-and-so's job. Well, if I worked for that company, maybe I wouldn't have these issues. Or man, their house is so pretty, it's so beautiful. Man, our house, uh, I wish I had their house. We'd be so much happier if we had that house. Or how about, you know what? I wish I had their marriage. If I had their marriage, I wouldn't be stuck with this person. Right? All of a sudden, we, we let selfishness creep in. Pretty soon, we start comparing what other people have. All of a sudden, now, it starts to ki- literally starts to kill us. We're looking around at what other people have, and it begins to rob us of the life that we're supposed to live. Once we play that comparison game, selfishness is sunk. It's sunk its claws deep into our heart, and it's ravaging, and it's raging inside of us. You know, we talk a lot about kids, you know, being so selfish. Parents and adults can be just as bad, am I right? The selfishness, the mind, I want it. That that can be just, we're just as bad. We're no different. The psalmist in Psalms chapter 106, he warns us of something, and I want to warn us too. Beware. Beware of begging God for things you don't necessarily need. Sometimes we beg God, we beg God for things, and God says, you don't need that. Which tells me this, that God has perfectly given you everything that you ever need to have an abundant and and experience a great life with him now. You don't need any more than you have right now. God says, I've given you everything. I've equipped it to you. You can have it if you just take it. He's given us everything. The psalmist says this in Psalm 106, verse 13. He says, they quickly forgot his works. That's the first one. We forget. They quickly forget his works. They did not wait for his counsel. They didn't wait. They decided to take matters into their own hands. But they craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their requests, but sent a wasting disease among them. Now, let me just tell you that God, God is perfectly content to give you what you most desire. And if what you most desire is not him, he's more than happy to give that to you. The Pharisees, would love to have praise and adoration from the people in the city. So when they would come and they would drop their tithes or their offerings at the temple, they would ring bells so people would look at them and go, oh, here come the Pharisees, and they would clap. And that's what they wanted. They wanted that praise. And Jesus looked over and said, if that's what you want, then that's what you get. If you don't want me, then you can have that. We see this in Romans chapter one, right? Romans chapter one, a world so depraved, a world so covered in its own sin and unrighteousness, they did not desire God. And so what did God do? He said, you can have it. He gave the world over into its lusts, over into its desires. If what we're willing to not have is just simply God alone, God says, okay. That means that you have to understand that your faith is all that you have. It's faith in Jesus Christ. If you were to leave here today and everything when you got home was gone and wiped away, what would you have? The only thing you could hold on to is Christ. But if you miss it, if you miss who he is, if you miss the blessings he puts in your life, then you're gonna be washed away. You'll be washed away. 
So what we need to do, what we need to do is we have to have a different perspective. Instead of dwelling on what other people have in comparison and not trusting that there's a blessing right in front of us, we need to start dwelling on the things that we do have. You know, a lot of times we often sit there and go, oh, I wish I had the house that so-and-so had. Meanwhile, we say that from the comfort of our own home with a roof over our head. When we look at what other people have and say, I wish I had that person's job because I'd be making more money, you say that while you have a job. You know, what about the blessing, the fact that you and I can see, the very fact that you and I can see with our own eyes is an incredible blessing. How many people can't see? The fact that I can hear, the fact that I can talk, the fact that I can walk, I move my arms. Praise God, those are blessings. And we, praise God. And we need to be aware of those things. perspective changes everything because then you begin to see the good around you and no more comparison. You can actually look at what somebody else has and go, praise God, that's a blessing in their life. And you don't have to go, man, I wish I had that. There's a saying, it says, the grass is always greener on the other side, to which I would reply, then water your own grass. Water your own grass. See what you have. See the things that you do have and see them and count them all as blessings because God gave them to you and praise God. Praise God that you have those things in your life. Remember, God has given you everything that you currently need to have an an abundant life, an incredible life, a blessed life. He wants us to understand that Israel had the the same thing. Israel had everything they needed, but yet they allowed selfishness to creep in and it blinded them to the blessings that God had before them. The second point that I want to show you is in 1 Samuel chapter 13. The the next lesson in selfishness that we learn is from the man Saul himself. The second thing that we learn about selfishness is this, that when we allow selfishness to creep into our life, we begin to have trust in self, which is not trust in God. We start to trust in self and not in God. We start to take things in our own hands because We forgot the promises. We forgot the blessings. We forgot all the things that God has given us. 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul was told by Samuel to go take the armies and go to this place called Gilgal and that he in seven days would show up. They would do a sacrifice to God and offer up this offering to God. Saul was not able to do that because he's not the priest. Samuel was the priest, so he was the only one that was supposed to do it. Well, We see that Saul, somewhere along the line, Saul's heart opened itself up to to, to selfishness. Look what happened. He waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and all the people were scattering from him. Now, as a leader, you could imagine, if pride and selfishness had crept in, if your followers began to scatter from you, all of a sudden, your insecurity starts to creep in, right? And you automatically revert to selfishness. We automatically revert to pride. And in verse nine, so Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he finished the offering and the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him. Now, I don't know about you. I like to picture these these pictures and story and the stories in scripture because sometimes it just brings it more alive. 
I just think that Saul was this like kind of naive, arrogant leader who, you know, he thought he was doing a good thing, you know? He's like, you know what? They're not coming. We'll just do it. I can do it. Just, get, just give it to me. Give it to me. And he puts it on there, starts burning. It's like a barbecue. It smells good. He's like, this is good, right? You know, he even shrouded it in sort of spirituality. I did this because I didn't ask for God's blessing, so this is good. Then he sees Samuel coming down the road, and he's like running over to Samuel, like skipping, like, hey, I did a good thing, right? Do you smell that? And Samuel looks at him and goes, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? I told you to wait seven days. And then all of a sudden, that smile kind of all of a sudden turns into a frown. He's like, but what? Look what happens here in verse, starting in, uh, in, in verse 11. But Samuel said, what have you done? What have you done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines were assembling at McMash. Therefore, I said, now the Philistines, they will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not asked for the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and I offered the burnt offering. You see, he even shrouded in spirituality. Well, I was trying to ask favor of the Lord. Yeah, sure you were. Sure you were. You got nervous because people were scattering and you allowed yourself to not trust in God's plan, but trust in self. And it goes on. Verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom of Israel forever. He had an incredible promise and he blew it. Verse 14, but now your kingdom, it shall not endure. And the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as a ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord had commanded you. Now, this is a good point to stop here and talk about the upper and the lower story coming together. In the lower story, we see Israel clamoring for a king, blind to the blessing that they have. We see Saul not trusting in God, but trusting in self and making these mistakes. But yet God is always, always working and always moving in the upper story. And you'll realize who God was talking about when he said, I'm looking for a man after my own heart. Who was that? King David. God would bring somebody. He would bring the Redeemer. Just like his son Jesus later, he would bring a Redeemer constantly. God had a plan here. But, but Saul, he blew it. Now, Saul, you know, the sin of the sacrifice was one thing. He wasn't supposed to do it. Samuel was the only one who was allowed to do it. Saul, he knew better. But because he, quote unquote, didn't have the favor and over-spiritualized it and went and did it anyway, the real sin in what Saul had done was that he didn't wait. He didn't wait the appointed time. He took matters into his own hands. He trusted in self and not trusted in God. This is a dangerous thing. We, when we start to trust in self and not trust in God. You know, having a been in ministry for a while and, and being around a lot of young people, I can't tell you the number of young people that I have seen jump into relationships because they were so worried. They were so concerned. They're like, I don't know, you know, I'm 20 years old. I got to get married pretty soon. I'm like, oh, you're so young, 20. Oh, it's like, really? You've got a long life to live. But you know what? They're so concerned. They're like, I got to get into a relationship right away because I don't know that God has a plan. So I'm just going to take things into my own hands and I'm just going to find this person and spend time with them. And hopefully this will be the right thing. And as parents, I know it wrecks parents. Sometimes they see their kids. You get a relationship with someone who's not even a Christian. And you're like, what? This is not what God called you to do. This is not what God's plan is for your life. Somewhere along the line, it becomes trust in self, not trust in God. How many marriages have People jump so quickly to divorce because things aren't working out the way they thought it should work out. That this wasn't what I thought it was gonna be. She wasn't what I thought she was gonna be. He wasn't what I thought he was gonna be. 
And so we're so quick to jump to divorce. Instead of trusting in God, we trust in ourselves. You know what? It's just not working out. Well, I have to ask the question, well, you know, when you stood on the altar and you made a, you made a commitment, you made it to each other, but there was also somebody else that was involved there too. It was God. Did you not trust that he had a plan and a purpose for your life? Because when we step off of that path, we go into a very dangerous place of selfishness that robs us of this life. Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. A very, very famous passage of scripture that I know a lot of people are familiar with. And it talks about trust. The thing is, is today in our society, in our culture, we live in a world that doesn't understand truth. To them, there is no truth. Truth becomes relative. It's whatever I want it to be. That even in itself is not truth. But they don't get it. We live in a world, society, and a culture that bases everything on feelings and opinion, not fact or truth. This becomes a dangerous game because then who do we trust? We trust your feelings, but my feelings change from day to day. I don't know about your feelings, but mine do. My opinions change from day to day. Do yours? I'd rather go to the source where I know I have truth. When it comes to hot button issues like abortion, politically, you know, we talk about this. People are sitting there saying, well, you know what? It's what, what it feels right, what feels right. People, people want to jump to their feelings instead of saying, what about the author of life? What does he have to say about this matter? You see, we're not, we're not stuck on this foundation of truth. It's feelings and opinions. What about homosexuality? Well, you know what? We just want to do what makes people feel the best. And I think that it should be this way. And I feel like it should be this way. Well, that's great. But that's not truth. And if we fall victim to that, we allow ourselves to have trust and false trust in what the world says. Man, you put your foundation on the sand. Jesus tells us to build our foundation on the rock. So when the wind of the waves crash over us, guess what? We're not washed away. We can stand strong because we have the truth. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the very first word in that verse is trust. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in, your, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your feelings, your opinions, your thoughts, and I think. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So here's, here's the dilemma. What does it mean to love God with all of your heart? What does it mean to trust God with all of your heart? I think very, very, a lot of us in Christianity today are very familiar with this passage of scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We know it. We, we've, we said it. We recited all these things. But somehow there's a disconnect between heart and brain and what comes out of the outside. There is a dilemma here. Now, Jesus in Mark chapter 12, he told us something. When he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said what? Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, right? Sorry, I don't, I, don't, I don't write that fast. Heart, mind, soul, right? Heart, mind, and soul. There's another one too. We'll get to that in a second, strength. But Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Now, let's, let's identify these things so we're all in this together. The heart, this is what we would call our will. This is the center of who we are. Every decision that you make, everything that you do originates and starts from your heart. Everything starts here. If you have a will, every one of us has a will. It's where what you want to get done that is in your you know, immediate response is gets done. So if I want to move this cup, I move it. My will tells me that I can do that. 
God also has a will, and where he wants to get done gets done, right? And so we have the heart where everything centers around. Everything comes from here. Then we have the mind, right? This is where we have our thoughts, our feelings, our opinions, all of those things. There's a reason why God said heart, mind, and soul first. There's a reason. God is a God of order. And so we, he says that here's your mind. These are the thoughts, the feelings. This is all this. Then the soul, the soul. The soul is the embodiment of all of this. It's who you are. All of those things combined make up the soul. Your, your heart, your mind, your soul. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Now, we know that. We repeated it together. But yet, for some reason, on the outside, we don't see the, the, we don't see the, 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 the symptoms of that. We see different types of symptoms. We see symptoms of a, of a heart that is unsurrendered. A heart that's holding on to its own will, its own desires, and not God's will. And so here, currently, coming out of this is what we see today in Christianity and even in the world, is we think, see things like this. Selfishness. Selfishness. We see this constantly. We see things like pride. Right? How about this one? Greed. How about this one? Oh, this is a good one. Lust. We see plenty of people struggling with lust. Anxiety. Can't spell. Anxiety. How about this one? Ooh. Something's wrong here. Anger. We see a lot of people struggling with anger. Calling themselves Christians, saying that I have given my heart to the Lord. I have said yes to Jesus in my heart, but yet we don't see the product of that. We see symptoms of a heart that's not surrendered. We still see things like selfishness, pride, greed, lust, anxiety, and anger. And so what do we do? We get in our circles and we tell each other, you know what we need to do is conform. You need to make everything on the outside look the part. The scary part with that is people have gotten good at that. A lot of people have gotten good at becoming the good Christian. They look the part on the outside. The problem is, is the inside is not. You know, people go, wow, that person's such a loving Christian, yet the family goes home on Sunday and knows that's not the case. Because what comes out is not what's going on inside of here. Something is, something is drastically wrong. And so we tell ourselves, you know what? We'll just make it look good on the outside. We'll pretend. We'll conform, right? You just spend more time in Bible study. Go to men's group. Pray more. This will take care of all that stuff. Sadly, we find out it doesn't. Because we try to conform and make this thing look like it should. The problem is, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says that we're not supposed to be conformed, but instead we're supposed to be what? Transformed. He says we're supposed to be transformed. A transformation is from the inside outwardly. It takes care of everything. It's a total transformation. Not just the outward portion, it's the inward and the outward follows. And so any of us who've ever been a Christian long enough understand this process. We know that we need something to come in and take control of the center, the thing that originates out of us. And who is that? It would be Christ. Jesus Christ. We allow him to come into our heart. And guess what happens? When you surrender your heart, when you say, God, it's not my will, but your will be done, then guess what? It's not about what you do. It's not about what you do. It's about who you choose to be. If you choose to be a follower of Christ, if you say you're a follower of Christ, then that means the Bible says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, right? If you said you're gonna choose to be a follower of mine, then you're gonna obey my commandments. Now, commandment sounds like a scary word. Let's just, let's make it seem what it really is. They're, guide, they're guidelines. 
God says, I know that you're going to live this life and you're going to struggle with things like selfishness, pride, greed, lust, anxiety, all of those things. So he goes, I'm going to rid you of those things because a life with me is about transformation, not confirmation. I don't want you to conform. I don't want the outward side to look the part. I want everything from the inside outward to be changed. And so what he asks us to do are some, some different things. The first thing he asks us to do is to serve. He asks us to serve others, love others as yourself. You know, when we ask people to get involved in church ministries and start serving, and maybe in children's or serving in men's group or whatever, he asks, we ask you to do that. It's not because we're trying to get you to fill a spot because we need you to do, to do a job. That's not why we want you to do it. We understand that if you serve, then the transformation that God wants to do in your heart and your will begins to happen, but only when you start to do this. First you do, then you'll understand. Does that sound familiar? The Asa Shema, right? Do, and then you'll understand. God puts these guidelines. He says, if you start serving, and you, guess what? If you start serving and loving other people and see them as valuable and see that God has something and they're more important than you in your life, it becomes very difficult to be angry at people. To have to have anger constantly something you deal with. But when you start serving, you realize people have value and they matter. And God loves them just like he loves you. And so you don't have to struggle with that. The Bible tells us to dwell. Meditate. The Bible tells us to dwell on whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is righteous. He tells us to dwell on those things. Set your mind to those things. When your mind wanders and drifts off into negativity and thinks about what other people have and this and that, to stop, control those, take captive every thought, bring it back to God and focus yourself on God. You know what happens when you start to spend time meditating every single day on God? Things like anxiety don't become an issue because you're not worried. You're not worried. You're living each day with God, experiencing what he has for you. The Bible tells us also to abstain. The Bible tells us to abstain from fleshly lust. Flee temptation. You know, when we ask young couples who are not, who are not married when they're living together, and we say, you can't live together, we're not trying to ruin your fun parade, okay? That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to get you to understand transformation. We want you to understand that when you do this, when you leave and flee temptation, that the transformation can begin to happen. And when you start abstaining from pornography, leaving yourself away from it, when you leave yourself away from your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're not married, guess what? Things like lust become a non-issue. Become a non-issue because you're not anywhere near where those things can begin to happen. Potentially one of the hardest things the Bible asks us to do is to give. The Bible tells us to give freely to God and then give to others. And when we do that, guess what? It sets us free of things like selfishness and pride and greed. Those things take care of themselves. We're no longer cursed by those things. We're no, never, no longer in the bondage of those things. And so if we have now taken our heart and surrendered it to Christ, allowed him to come in here, and it's not about what we do, but what we choose to be. And then when we set all of our heart, mind, and soul with all of our strength into this, then guess what? We love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all of our strength. This is what God wants from us. Full transformation. Full transformation. He wants us to be completely and inwardly changed. But what happens is we get so concerned with trying to fix these outward things by simply acting like the part or not doing those things. Well, I just, I'll just won't do it. That, that'll make it better. Well, yeah, that happens for a day, and then what happens the next day? the next day and the next day it still keeps keeps coming back in, in, into our life 
And so we try harder and we try harder and we try harder, always trying to fix the outside, but never worried about the inside. And when we do that, you know what happens? You begin to live a life of legalism. You begin to live a life of religion and not relationship. You live a life bound to this this rigid, rigid, rigid thing that you can never be free of. And God doesn't want you to live a life of legalism. He wants you to live a life of freedom. And much like the Pharisees of his day, they were bound to this outward legalism. And guess what? Jesus gave a perfect illustration of this transformation. He gave everybody who was standing around a lesson in dishwashing. You remember this story with me, right? He goes, you know what? If you want to know what transformation in Christ is like, it's like this. If you take a cup and it's dirty, you don't just wash the outside of the cup. No, you actually wash the inside of a cup. And anyone who's ever already washed the dish correctly knows that if you wash the inside of a cup, the outward part sort of takes care of itself, right? Jesus was the master illustrator and showed this. He said, I'm looking for real transformation. I don't want this, con- this outward conformity. I want you to be changed. Legalism kills. And the essence of legalism is trusting in religious activity rather than trusting in God. It is putting our confidence in the practice rather than the capital P, person. And without fail, this will lead us to love the practice more than the capital P, person. Legalism kills and destroys. This is not what God wants for us. Somewhere along the line, Saul allowed his heart to be captured by selfishness. Israel was blind to the blessings. Saul, he began to trust in self, not in trusting God. So knowing what's going on with Saul's heart and his will, take a look with me, if you will, the last point. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see what happens when selfishness is allowed to creep in and take a hold. Selfishness is taking what does not belong to us. Selfishness at its core makes us thieves. It makes us robbers. This is exactly what happened in in Malachi. When he warned the people of Israel, he said, you guys are thieves. You're stealing from me what doesn't belong to you. doesn't belong to you because they've allowed selfishness to creep in. Saul did the same thing. Saul was told to obliterate the Amalekite people. God was ready to to do away with them. And so he was going to use Saul to do it. And he said, go in there, destroy everything, keep nothing for yourself, trust in me, not in self. I will provide for you. I'm I'm God. I will do this. And look what happens in verse 7. So Saul, he defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive first wrong. He was supposed to kill everything. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people, they spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the best of the oxen, the best of the fatlings, the best of the lambs, and all that was good. And they were not willing to destroy them utterly. Right there. Selfishness allowed them to take what didn't belong to them. Now, for those of you who read along in the story, you may or may not know this. But that one sin, that one sin by Saul, not completely destroying Agag the king, would lead to something 500 years later that would have serious repercussions on Israel. You see, from that king Agag, a man named Haman came. And Haman was seeking to literally obliterate the whole Jewish nation. He was willing to destroy it, but yet God, still moving in the upper story, would bring a beautiful young woman by the name of Esther to redeem. He would move Esther in and he would redeem and he would take care of this. But Saul, because of that sin, destroyed 
and killed. We take what doesn't belong to us. When a person becomes stingy with all of their stuff, then all of their stuff becomes the most important thing in their life. And when such a high priority is placed on those things, those material things, you know what they become? They become idols. Then you know what happens to idols? They get worshipped. You know what happens when something is worshipped? It directs our will. It directs our mind. It directs our soul. And if we allow things to come in and creep into our life, become more important and sit on the altar of our heart, those things destroy and take away what God is trying to do. You know, when we talk about tithing in church, there's always a mixed response from people. People get uncomfortable when we start talking, when the pastor starts talking about tithing and money. People get uncomfortable. Let me tell you something. If you're uncomfortable when I talk about tithing or money, that's because you're still under the impression that that money is yours. It isn't yours. It never was yours. God gave that to you. God allowed you to wake up in the morning and go have a job. He allowed you to go to work. He allowed you to make that income. And he asks asks you, do you trust in me or do you trust in self? Will you manipulate the situation and hold on to those things? Or will you freely give? Or you freely give to me, trusting that I will take care of you. Will you surrender your will and say, God, whatever you want to do in my heart. You see, every time that you tithe, again, one of God's guidelines, when he gives us a tithe, and he says, when you do this, you give away selfishness, you give away pride, you give away greed. You don't have to be owned by those things. You can own your things. Your things don't own you. And some people think, you know what, tithing, it's just a way for God to raise money. No. Tithing is a way for God to raise his children because he doesn't want them to be selfish like the little kid we talked about. He goes, no, this is not the life you're supposed to live. And if you live like that, it's less than my best for your life. He wants to set us free from that prison. Selfishness is the antithesis of God. It is the opposite of God. If you're trapped in a life of selfishness, if you're holding on to things, holding on to money, holding on to whatever it is, You're living a selfish life. That's the opposite of God. John 3, 16, one of the most popular verses in all of Scripture says, For God so loved the world that he what, church? Gave. He gave. And whoever, whoever, it doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white, whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter. He says, whoever would believe in me would not perish but have eternal life. I'll take this a step further. God gave to set you free. Not just of selfishness, but some of you in here, you're holding on to guilt or something that you did. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that when he went to the cross, he scorned our shame and guilt. He wore it. He gave so that you could be free. Some of you are still holding on to your past and God gave so that you could walk away from that and you could be free. You have hurt and pain in your life that you are unnecessarily holding on to. And God says, why? When I gave to you. Take this gift that I have freely and live life. Be all who I've created you to be. Don't hold on to those things. Accept freely my gift of grace. This morning, if you are a follower of Christ, if you've, you've had your heart completely surrendered and you're walking with Christ, would you do me a favor right now? Would you just simply bow your heads and begin praying for people around you who need to, who need to get to the place that you're at? 
And I'm going to ask that in this next few minutes, nobody leave, nobody move. Just stay put. This moment is too important for us to, to, to move. If you're in here for the first time and you've never encountered God and you realize that you've been holding on to some things, man, you realize the truth. What you thought was the truth is no longer the truth that you see that God has something better for you than the current state you're in. And you're ready to say, God, I open up my heart and I surrender to you. Will you just come in? Then I'm going to ask you to do something brave. I'm going to ask you to commit your heart to him. I'm going to ask you to open up. The Bible tells us that Jesus, he stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. And to anybody who's willing to open the door, he will come in. If you're in here this morning and maybe you were walking with Christ at some point, you love the Lord and you were, you were at church and you were, you were experiencing life transformation, but then somewhere along the line, you opened up a door and you allowed selfishness or some other sin to creep in and it has guided you away from God. I want to tell you something. Today's the day that you can repent and come back. Today's the day you don't have to leave here with guilt and shame anymore. You can accept freely that he gave to you grace and mercy. If you would claim it. If you would this morning have courage to step out and to claim it. And there might be somebody in here who this just kills me. You say, you know what? I'm not ready to make a commitment because I still got to clean up my life to you. Let me just tell you something. Stop. You can't clean it up. It hasn't worked thus far. So stop. The self-sufficiency that I can do this, it's pride. Let go of it. Humble yourself. Surrender your heart and say, God, I know you'll fix me. You're the only one that can come into my heart and fix me. And so I'm begging God, do something in my life. Then today I want you to respond to God. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the grace and the mercy and the love that you have freely lavished and poured out on us. Lord, we're so thankful that you are not a God who rations and holds back but you're a God who loves us passionately and deeply and you pursue us. And even when we ignore you, you come after us, God. And I pray that to this morning that anybody who's holding on, God, would let go and they would let you enter in. This morning, if you feel God stirring in your heart and you know it's time for you to say, enough is enough. God, I want to be transformed. I'm tired of trying to act the part. I'm trying, tired of trying to be somebody I can't. I just need you, Jesus. I need your love. I need your mercy. I need your grace. And today's a beautiful day because it's the first day of the rest of your life with Jesus. So if that's you and you're ready to make a commitment to say yes, then what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray a prayer together. It's a prayer where we recognize who Jesus is, that he's the son of God. We recognize that the life he lived was perfect and that when he went to the cross, he died. His blood, it washed us clean, that we are now friends of God and we can partake in his grace. And it's that simple confession that brings us into a life with God. And so if you're ready to say yes to him, then I just want you to just close your eyes and then just repeat these words with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I know that you love me. And I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me to forgive me of my sin, to heal me of my hurt, to come in and transform my heart and to make me be who you want me to be. And so I say, yes, God, to your son, Jesus. Enter into my heart. Take control. It's not my life, but it's yours now. Free me of all of the stuff that's been holding me back in this life and allow me to walk freely into the new one. And Lord, I just thank you. 
I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. It's in your son's powerful name I pray. I say, amen. Yeah. Praise God for those of you who prayed that prayer this morning.